Well, today is Palm Sunday, and as we go through our passion narrative, there are so many various and different figures and characters that we encounter in the narrative that we could talk about. And we could reflect upon Peter, we could reflect upon Pilate or Herod, or the, the crowd, the women who follow Jesus. There are so many different individuals we could look to to find instruction and food for thought and meditation. But today I thought we'd focus on the thieves, the two thieves, in the midst of whom Christ is crucified, and in particular, the good thief. Now, there's a tradition that the name of the good thief is Dismas, Saint Dismas. And it doesn't very much matter whether or not his name really was Dismas. We know for sure that he was a a great saint and that God gave him the grace of conversion and that he entered into paradise. And so he's now in heaven with the Lord. I'd like to reflect upon Saint Dismas, especially in connection with what is called a happy death. That is a death that takes place in the peace of Christ, a death that witnesses the dying person entering into paradise. And to do so, I'd like to draw your attention to something that probably most of us have seen. This is very interesting. It's a Byzantine cross or a three-bar cross. I borrowed this from uh, Father Vazil of uh, Peter and Paul. Uh, Saints Peter and Paul, and it has three cross beams to it. You might not be able to see it, and I can leave it out afterwards if you want to come up and look at it. We, I think we've seen this in various contexts and places. The top bar is a symbol of the inscription, the title board that was hung over Christ's head. The middle cross beam is, of course, the beam uh, against which the Lord's hands were were pierced. But the one that I want to draw your attention to is this, the, the interesting one is the bottom one. It's kind of cocked, it's slanted to the right, upwards to the right. Now, the, that slant upwards to the right has to do actually with St. Dismas, the good thief. It symbolizes the footrest upon which Christ's feet were nailed, And it's slanted upwards to the right because, according to tradition, St. Dismas was on Christ's right hand. The symbolism here is that Jesus, his cross, is, as it were, a balance beam that is weighing the sins of the two thieves. The bad thief's sins and blasphemies are heavy, and they weigh him downwards to hell. But... The sins of Dismas are taken away from him, and therefore his side of the balance beam is lightened, and it rises up to heaven, to paradise. So the bottom crossbar symbolizes the happy death of St. Dismas. Now, a happy death is not an automatic thing that takes place regardless of the interior dispositions of our soul. Quite the contrary, for us to die a happy death, we need to have certain virtues and interior dispositions. And we see this in St. Dismas. Even though he was a great sinner, God gave him the grace of conversion so that he died with the proper interior virtues that he needed to enter into paradise. First of all, he had faith. He had remarkable faith. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. When everyone else is mocking Jesus... 
And calling him a false messiah, Dismas believes that Jesus is the messiah and that despite his death on the cross, which constitutes an apparent failure of great proportions, nonetheless, Jesus will reign as the messianic king. That takes great faith to to believe that. So also Dismas had the virtue of hope when he says to Christ, remember me, he's hoping for his own eternal salvation. So also did St. Dismas have charity or love. When everyone mocks Jesus, Dismas defends him out of love. Moreover, it's likely that when he rebukes the bad thief, he does so out of charity, out of concern for his own salvation. So he has the love of God and he also has the love of neighbor. And from this great love proceeds a deep contrition, a sorrow for his sins, which Dismas makes known through a sincere confession of his guilt. He says, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. And we also see here penance. St. Dismas accepts his punishment willingly as penance or satisfaction. For his sin. So we see all the right virtues and the interior dispositions in the good thief. We see faith, hope, charity, contrition, confession, satisfaction. What about us, though, in our last hour? We want to avoid any kind of magical thinking as if our sins are forgiven regardless of our interior dispositions, as if when the priest comes to anoint us with the holy oil, suddenly our, our sins disappear. And they have has absolutely nothing to do with our own interior state of soul. If we want to die a happy death, we need to have the right interior dispositions in our soul. And so here are a few practical recommendations. First of all, the grace of a happy death is given to us by God, not on the basis of our merits, but only on the basis of God's mercy. There are many things that we can merit, But we cannot merit the grace of a happy death. So the only way to get it is to pray for it. We need to appeal to God on the basis of his mercy. And we should pray for it every day. That's one practical consideration. Here's another. It's important to be able to receive the church's last rites on our deathbed. The the last rites consist of three things primarily. There's communion which when it's given on the deathbed is called viaticum. Then there is the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And often preceding both of these sacraments is the sacrament of reconciliation or confession. Now, it is possible to die a happy death without the church's last rites. That is absolutely possible. But the last rites are very helpful. They very much dispose us towards dying a happy death. And there are some people who will not die a happy death without them. So it's always important to get the priests in there to do the last rites. It's important to help procure them for your loved ones when they're in their last days. Many priests can tell you that often they're called to a dying person's side just before they're about to expire. And usually the person is unconscious or without the use of their reason. So the only thing the priest ends up doing is anointing an unconscious person. This is not ideal. 
We do trust that sacramental absolution and the sacrament of anointing is of help to a dying person, even if they are already apparently unconscious. This is so because, first of all, you never really know if the person is totally unconscious. And this is why the priest will often speak to the apparently unconscious person as if they could hear him. And he leads them in an act of contrition before he absolves them and anoints them. Also, if they are really unconscious and they can't hear the priest, we believe that the grace of the sacraments interacts with the interior dispositions the person had just before they lost consciousness or just before they lost the use of their reason. Nonetheless, as I said, this is not ideal. Like Dismas, who was fully conscious and able to make acts of faith, hope, and love, and a confession, we should make sure our loved ones receive the last rites while they are conscious, long before they use the loo- uh, lose the use of their faculties or are put on comfort care. We should be encouraging them, as long as they are conscious, to be making acts of faith, hope, and love, and contrition. That way, if the priest comes after they lose consciousness, we'll know that they had the right dispositions before they went out. Or even better, if they don't lose consciousness before the priest comes, they'll be able to make a confession and receive viaticum and be all the more ready to benefit from the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And there are certain benefits that can be received from the sacrament of the anointing only by someone who is conscious. The sacrament strengthens the person's fortitude to face the various temptations that assail us on our deathbed. The sacrament also strengthens our hope, which is probably the most important virtue at that time. Hope cuts a middle path in between two different erroneous dispositions. On the one hand, sometimes people on their deathbed are uh, falling into despair, and they look at themselves, and they see all their sins, and they despair that God can, can forgive them. Hope is not like that. Hope looks to God and depends upon what he's done for us to forgive us and have mercy on us. Another thing that can happen is that people fall into not despair, but the opposite error, and that is presumption. They can, again, look to themselves and they can say, I'm such a good person. God is obligated to forgive me and usher me into heaven. And that's a sin and a huge error. And it's not the virtue of hope. Hope does not look to one's own virtues or merits, but it looks to God and it depends on what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. Now, I've placed in the back on the tables, the first two tables there, as you immediately enter in that front entrance, uh, a very beautiful prayer to St. Dismas, along with acts of faith, hope, love, and contrition. And I invite you to take one. We can use these to prepare ourselves and our loved ones for a happy death, so that like St. Dismas, we can die near the cross of Christ as sinners who have received salvation not on the basis of our merits, but on the basis of God's mercy. At the hour of our death, may our sins be lightened in the balance of the cross, and like St. Dismas, may we rise up to heaven and enter paradise.